Uh, today is National Whistleblower Day. Did you know there was such a thing? We are going to talk to Patrick Dolan, who is a frequent guest on this show and on John Hansen's show, and we're talking about whistleblower law and also other employee-employer relationship-type questions, and I'll be taking your calls if you have questions at the workplace about working remotely, about discrimination, about anything you might have. We'll be happy to try to answer those questions. And then at the top of the hour at 4, we'll be talking to Steve Greenberg, who is one of our better criminal defense attorneys here in the Chicago area, and we'll be talking about the new charges against Donald Trump in a little bit more depth than uh, probably has been discussed in the news. And then also the Hunter Biden plea deal uh, was not accepted by the judge, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Did he get a sweet deal, or was this business as usual in federal court? And that's at four o'clock. And afterwards, we'll be taking your legal questions as we normally do, 312-981-7200. I'll be answering any legal questions uh, you might have have on any particular topic. But first, let's start with an issue that is just fascinating to me, and that is criminal profiling. This case, this case out in Long Island of the Gilgo Beach murders has fascinated people for many years. A couple weeks ago, a suspect was arrested and charged with killing three women whose bodies were found uh, in Long Island. He is a suspect in another murder. In total, there were 18 bodies found over a 15-year period, and we don't know if that's t- those are tied to him. Uh, Uh, And, of course, he's just a suspect at this point. Uh, You may remember that at some point, criminal profilers put together, it was not a very detailed profile, but it was a general profile that really was very accurate in picking uh, the, the types of characteristics that this gentleman had. I want to talk about criminal profiling with one of our local experts, Paul Cialino. He's a lifelong resident of Chicago. He's a sergeant in the U.S. Army and military police. He went on to become lead homicide and child molestation investigator for the Department of Family Services, Children and Family Services, um, and he's a board-certified criminal profiler from the Academy of Behavioral Profiling. So Paul, thank you for coming on the show this Sunday. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me, Karen. Uh, happy birthday to Jerry. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? If he isn't going to celebrate it, I'm just going to continue to celebrate until he until he comes around. <laughs> That's the attitude. Yeah, I usually get my way. Um, So let's talk about criminal profiling. And can you just tell us, I think our listeners probably know what that is, but can you describe what criminal profilers do and how they do it? Well, we should probably start with the most important aspect of criminal profiling, and that's victimology, which is almost never done in any case that I've reviewed in 40 years of doing this. it's, It's it's not a uh, difficult thing to do, but it's, a, it's hard, and it's labor-intensive. And victimology is where it all starts. And if you don't have great victimology in a case, uh, i.e. investigating the victim and what happened to that victim, or plural, victims, uh, then you're not profiling anything. So let's get into the details of victimology. When you say victimology, um, you know, what, what exactly, what bullet points are you actually looking at here? Well, I'll give you a laundry list. You want to determine the victim's hard physical characteristics, race, weight, height, etc. Determine the victim's occupation, place of work, what the shift schedule is. Uh, criminal history, if any. They hang out with criminals. Are they a criminal, etc. I mean, this is often left in the wind. What's the victim's daily routine, uh, habits, activities? Uh, this requires talking to family members, friends, co-workers, boyfriends, past boyfriends, etc. Uh, you want to compile a complete list of family members with contact information and view each of them. This is often overlooked, especially if there's some 
problems going on within the family. Maybe they're not talking, haven't spoken sometime, but you still want to have a complete picture of that. Uh, a list of all the victim's friends and other information. Uh, interview each of them. I mean, colleagues at work, especially, we all have different faces, right? One for work, one for our friends, one, one out socially, one for the bars, etc. cetera. Uh, medical history of the victim. Uh, are there any special psychiatric issues, mental health issues? Have they ever been, uh, uh, you know, evaluated? What was that evaluation? Is there a psychiatrist or psychologist who want to speak with them? Uh, what's going on in the victim's life? What kind of medication the victim's taking? This always affects people, right? Um, so when when and we're going to take a break in a minute here, unfortunately, but I I, I want to know. So this kind of profiling is it fair to say that when you get all of these things analyzed, along with many other things, obviously how this crime is committed, and we can talk a little bit about that. Whether you're disorganized or organized, we can talk about what that means. Do you when you put this all together when you come up with this profile? Is it based upon? interviews that have been done with criminals over the years or interviews or, or just identifying what kind of crime certain kind of people commit? How, how do you get the database well, for I, what well, let's start the criminal, criminal looks interviews. like? interviews. Mostly yeah. if a criminal is talking to you, he, if he's breathing, he's generally lying, sort of completely unreliable, right. unless you could back it up with physical evidence, hard physical evidence or science, all right? Uh, anything else coming out of their mouths? I mean, these, these jailhouse interviews with serial killers, uh, the police love them because they could go in there and solve 20 more homicides that were open on the books. Um, they'll say anything to do anything. You're dealing with a sociopath or a psychopath, and all they're looking to curry favor to have a cigarette or eat a cheeseburger or get <laughs> transferred to a lower security institution. Uh, almost completely worthless at all times. Interesting. So and I wondered about that because you're absolutely right. In, even if they're confessing, they sometimes are confessing to things they didn't do or could not have possibly done just for... Well, just absolutely for, do yeah. it. And we, and we see case after case of that. There was a guy in Texas, a, a black serial killer, which is unusual in itself, and he confessed to like 60 more homicides they, they cleared off the books. It, clearly... Uh, he was lying in the vast majority of them. Was it in that state? Had never been in that state. Right, I do never, remember that. You know, I mean, it was it was locked up when the murder happened. And for that, he, for that, he got privileges. He they, they he was allowed to actually go out of his prison cell and and go to lunch in the town with with uh, I think with the guards. But he was with he the, was with the Texas Ranger. Yes, the Texas <laughs> Ranger brought you that disaster. I know, and, and they're living and swearing by it to this day. And I think he was the only person who was. Actually, his death sentence was commuted by George Bush. Of all the people who did things in in Texas and who got the death penalty, I, I believe I'm correct that he was the only one who had the death sentence commuted to life yeah, for George some Bush's reason. Review of death penalty cases usually lasted a hot five minutes, which is amazing. This guy got the gift, but he got a gift because the Texas Ranger went to the governor and asked for it, and they got it. And they should have never got it. They should have never believed the word that was coming out of this guy's mouth because, as you mentioned, he's going to lunch. He's doing all kinds of fun things. Um, you know, let's take a break, and when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about criminal profiling and the different kinds of serial killers there are. We're talking to Paul Cialino. He is a, uh, a private investigator, forensic scientist, and a profiler. And we're listening to the Karen County Show on WGN. We're talking to Paul Cialino. He's a private investigator and a criminal profiler. 
Uh, welcome back to the show. Paul, I want to talk about these Gilgo Beach murders. I've been following these for many, many years, and it was kind of a shock to me um, that there was such a sudden, I guess it wasn't sudden to, to the police because they've been looking at this. But over 10 years ago, um, this, this serial killer um, expert told the New York Times that the perpetrator was likely an educated white male living on the south shore of Long Island, that he would have a job, be financially secure, drive an expensive car or truck. He was likely to be married and would appear to be unassuming to most people. Now, that's not super, super uh, specific, but can, I know that you did not investigate these. You did not profile these cases and you don't have access to the files and all of the evidence. But how would a profile profiler have gotten to that that profile just from looking at the records and all of the things that 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 he had access to well historically speaking that that's the profile of most serial killers right. and Duco beach is is been banged around lately but it, frankly the people who solved that case was the media they're the ones that have been banging the drum for years and years and years about it being a serial killing and the and the police have refused almost to participate in it, and I, it's just it's necropolitics, which simply means who gets funded, uh, who's important in the victim class, and and w- where we know sex workers are on that list is at the very bottom. I mean, this is clearly a serial killer on the loose. No one wanted to admit it. No one wants to mess with it. No one wants to fund that investigation. If it was not for the media, just going ape out there on this thing, they they would probably still be unsolved. And you know, what I do know is that the police chief, the former police chief, who, by the way, spent time in jail for roughing up a defendant and some other things, um, what, you know, he, he turned away the FBI's uh, attention to this, as, as I recall. Well, we go back to necropolitics, and that is, you know, these are low-life sex workers. We don't care. Their life has no value. Uh, ergo, we're not going to investigate it. It's not a problem. I mean, who cares if they're missing? Who cares if they're dead? It's not an issue. And it just goes back to the whole issue of femicide, where women are basically, in most homicides, treated as second-class citizens. But let me and ask you this. And professionally, almost every day. Could there be something else going on? And I'm going to insert my, my mantra here, and I think my listeners are probably sick of me talking about it, but there have been like somewhere between 16, 15 young white males who have disappeared from bars and restaurants. They are later found dead in the river or the lake. And it just seems to me like a huge coincidence. There are people who opine that there's a serial killer out there, and, and these are not sex workers. These are not people of color. These are these are white males who are in the prime of their life. So tell me why the police wouldn't look at this and look at this seriously well, and, and say that, hey, look, this sounds like a serial killer. Here's the political reality, especially in the city of Chicago. By the way, we have about 15 dead black females yes. who have been found in alleys and garages, deserted garages dead over the last few years. Uh, one reporter, John Fountain, who used to be at the Sun-Times, wrote exclusively about it. The police don't want to hear it. They don't want to admit they have a problem of that magnitude on their hands. I mean, they can't solve a run-of-the-mill gang homicide. Uh, serial killing? Now you're bringing in the FBI and uh, ATF and DEA and anybody foreign bodies you could get, marshal service, and you're spending a fortune on these things. You don't want to admit it because to admit it, admits you have a gigantic problem that is uh, running amok in your city, killing people. Interesting, because you would think 
I guess I would think the opposite, because then the police could say, hey, listen, we need help. Bring in the FBI, bring in uh, some additional funding. Let's see what we can do here. Because like you said, you're right. There, there could be more than just one serial killer. Could probably, probably more I, I than one. I can promise you that this is probably the work of one person. They're all winding up in the same place. They all fit a specific general physical appearance, this guy's type of victim. Uh, be it a sexual type or just a type that he's attracted to or he figures he can handle. And it, this is not a string of homicides there where bodies are, uh, you know, just uh, as a fair dumped in the Lake Michigan or one of the rivers. It, this is this is the work of one individual. It's not a team of them. It's one. Let's we go. Don't want to admit it. Yeah, we don't I want mean, to deal with it. I'm glad you say you're saying this because I I keep getting the text. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're you know you're making up stuff. I don't know. Uh, and I, when you see patterns, to me, there's a reason for patterns. But let's you're, go. You're let, absolutely correct when you you make that assumption. We're not conspiracy theorists. Listen, we've seen this act before. I mean, we've got uh, 250 years of history in this country of of this kind of behavior. So we've learned a few things and. And one of the things we learned, when you find a group of bodies across the street from the guy who you suspect is a serial killer, that's a clue. That's a great clue. <laughs> that's a great starting point. Because what happens is people do not want to carry bodies around in the trunk of their car. They call that riding with the death penalty. Because if you get caught, that's what's going to happen to you if you've got a dead body in your trunk. So you expose them in the most expedient, safest way, i.e. the less exposure you have that body, Time, uh, you have time with that body, the less chance you're being caught. You're riding around with it for two or three days, all kinds of problems develop. The Gilgo Beach um, suspect had a uh, timeshare in Las Vegas. He was known to go to South Carolina. The media reports his brother lived down there. He intended to retire there. Um, and I assume the police and their, you know, there's scuttlebutt that the police are looking into unsolved murders, similar murders in those areas. Can you tell our listeners, you know, I know you don't know this and you don't have the files in front of you, but do you suspect that this guy, you know, if he is the killer of these women on Long Island, would he have gone to other places and started these killing sprees in other locations, or would that be out of character for somebody like him? Absolutely. is something the police should follow up on. It's critical that they start looking at similar type cases involving similar type sex workers, and electronically, I mean, let's start looking at his Facebook, at his Instagram, at his cell phone records, cell phone location records. I mean, a lot can be done electronically, but once again, it's very hard work. It's time-consuming. It's expensive, and it often gets overlooked in these cases. But the sooner you act, the more likely you're going to find these documents, and you could put something together. But, yeah, they don't take vacations. If he has an opportunity in Vegas, he's going to take it. If he's got an opportunity in South Carolina, once again, he'll take it. I mean, uh, take some of the heat off of what's going on in New York, and no one's looking down in them parts. There's no pattern. There's no graveyard that's been found. And let's remember, we're, you know, South Carolina, you have the desert. In Las Vegas, we have Lake Mead, where all kinds of bodies are starting to turn up now that the, the levels are diminishing. So I, I was thinking about our, our local homeboy, John Giese, and I was thinking there are a lot of parallels between him and this Gilgo Beach uh, murder uh, suspect in that there was this, you know, people are shocked about the double life. You know, Giese lived this life. He was a, a successful contractor. He was politically connected. He had a nice home in a nice area. 
And, you know, this guy, the Gilgo Beach guy, was a architect, and he had a whole nice home in a nice area, married with a child, Gacy the same. You know, do you see, is this like a, is this something unusual, or is this the life of a serial killer with this kind of dichotomy of a, of a world for them? Well, it's very similar uh, circumstances, except Gacy was far more charming and got along with people. The guy in Gilco Beach is a very disagreeable sort who nobody likes or gets along with, including his neighbors, uh, friends, relatives, etc. Uh, and and I, I read your bio, you represented Gacy at some point. Uh, and, and Gacy was, it had people, women didn't want to marry him while he was still locked <laughs> up on death row. That's true. It's, it's amazing to me. But And this guy will have his fan club, too. But in, as far as I know, I'm not sure Gacy ever admitted to anything. They, well, they say he he admitted it the night he was apprehended, and then at, thereafter he shut his mouth and always denied that he did anything except running uh, run a ran a cemetery without a license. That's what he, that was his that was his mantra. He's so charming. He was I, uh, charming. Yeah. I, mm. I, I, Joe Kozenzak, the, the cop who put this whole thing Gacy thing together and eventually arrested him, was a dear friend of mine. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the circumstances in which he got caught. And he got caught like the rest of these guys do because he got greedy and he made a huge mistake. He grabbed the wrong kid and the right cop was working at night. Yeah, who's like crazy. Her mother was, whose mother was, been, yeah, right, sitting out with the car. Joe Kozenzak and his crew over there. Uh, Gacy probably killed another 10, 15 people before he got caught. And before, I, we're going to have to go in a second, but that's absolutely right. And I've always suspected that, you know, he was out of town doing construction work, supposedly. My question is, you know, if you look at where he went, was it possible that there were other bodies found? I, my guess would be yes. Paul, I'm sorry, we don't have time, but I would like you to come back on. Paul Cialina, uh, please give out your contact information really quickly. Sure. You could all reach me at my website is www.pjcinvestigations.com. And I'll even give my phone number, Terry, code 847-736-8397. Karen, I want to appreciate having me on today. Thank you, Paul. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. All right. We're going to adjourn for the news and we'll be back in a minute.